Welcome to Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Ostra and Clementine. They are the founders of a church called Church of the Sacred Womb. And I know what you're thinking. At least I know what I was thinking when I heard the words church. I was thinking of my old Catholic church and my days in Catholic school when I was in sixth grade and I had to listen to Father Wheatley talk about whatever it is he talked about for an agonizing hour, two times a week actually. And uh, no, this is not that kind of church. This is a very, very interesting church. One unlike any other I've ever heard of actually. Ostra and Clementine provide a lot of amazing services and ceremonies and rituals through this church, and we have an awesome conversation with them, so let's go to that conversation now. Church of the Sacred Womb which is such a beautiful name. I think though, when people, sometimes when you hear church, you're always thinking of this kind of old school Christian church in this place that people go that's kind of serious and structured. But your church to me is a totally you know different kind of church, one that is full of play and pleasure and totally different from anything that I ever associated with the church before. I would love to hear sort of the origin story of Church of the Sacred Womb and how also how the name came about. Yeah, so we founded that name in 2018. We Our partnership started in December of 2017 with a bang, and then we worked together for about eight months whereby we just kind of refined our process and we didn't really weren't really working under a collective kind of energy yet we were I had been coaching for a while and also had been doing different work and so we were kind of still seeing ourselves as a partnership of individual gifts and then it just sort of organically became what I call an entity or just a collective energy overarching over us. And then we did a retreat together. So we were kind of writing up forms for that. And I'm like, Ostra, we're at the coffee shop and we're like, Ostra, I I look across and I'm like, what do we call ourselves? You know, what, what are we writing on our forms? And she just does some research and she's like, you know, cause we were working around these kind of different uh, medicines, different like cacao and things like that. And so she, she's like, does some research and I'm continuing on the forums and she looks at me. And I remember this moment across the table where she's like, Clem, I think we're supposed to make a church. And I just remember like the sparkles in the air and the sunlight and just this moment of of a just vivid memory of like what, and it felt so true, but also like, what, (laughs) what is, what is this? So we go home and we meditate And it was really interesting, actually, because we both heard, so we go and we meditate separately, and we both heard the name womb. And at that time, I really was not yet womb awakened. I had gone through miscarriage personally and kind of worked, had some trauma to go through. But we just both heard that, this idea of offering people a really safe space to have experiences within that feel nourishing and and safe and, and warm and comforting. And so we both came with that concept. We're like, okay. And so we're like, well, it's a temple. That's the whole kind of central concept is temple culture. And so we're like, all right, well, let's look it up. Temple of the Sacred Womb was kind of what we had come up with. Well, we downloaded that Temple of the Sacred Womb. And then we downloaded that there's a council of 13 women. Like we saw this kind of like leadership team. 
Well, so we look it up and there's not only a Temple of the Sacred Womb online in Colorado Springs, which is now some randomly defunct, but there was also a Council of 13 on their about page. And we, so we definitely felt like we were kind of channeling something from the collective field. And so sort of ever since then, we just kind of, well, we decided, okay, the, the name of church, which worked better with kind of the, the realm we work in anyway. And the, the name of church is really a reclamation. You know, there's a lot of reclamation happening in general, um, but really reclaiming what is church and what is worship. And that's kind of why we went with that, aside from the fact that we didn't want to have the same brand name. It just really pushed us on this other path of really reclaiming what is community and what is spiritual community from this kind of hegemonic, dominating, to some people, soul-crushing experience of church versus one that's more free. And it kind of pulls out of you your your spiritual expression and your creativity rather than suppressing it. So that's kind of, I would say, the overarching kind of story, how it happened. We still are like, huh? Like we made a church, we're making a church, what? (laughs) Every day we're just like, how do we get here? It just is so organic and beautiful and just always saying yes and showing up and doing the work and it it does just manifest through you, you know, if you're committed. Yeah, of course. Okay. I really didn't think of it that way, you know, the sacred womb where the womb is actually somewhere that's really, you know, safe and supportive and nourishing, like you were saying. It didn't occur to me that that's what you were coming across with the name there. So I really liked it. And the sacred womb also refers to our ceremonial container, which enables people to feel safe as they rebirth themselves. And normally before a ceremony or a ritual or gathering, Clementine and I will construct it with our words and with our intention, calling in the directions, the elements, the guides, Mm -hmm. the angels, the energies of the higher realms, and of course, the ones in the earth uh, below our feet. And yeah, that's what the sacred womb is. And Mm -hmm. so we're just allowing for this energy to flow through us and building it from this divinely guided part of the feminine and the masculine in wholeness and in harmony. This is something that I really appreciate about you both and what you do, the way that you create the sacred container, because not even just from traditional, you know, churches and places of worship, but even in maybe different types of alternative spiritual groups and communities, it's pretty rare (laughs) to come across communities that really create this safe sacred container Mm -hmm. and I just had a number of experiences, you know, that maybe initially start off to feel wonderful with the community, but because uh, the organizer or leaders are not very focused on creating that sacred container, then you can come in and and be really open. And then all it takes is kind of like one person or one energy or one experience to kind of come in and exploit that and make it feel not very safe for people. And I think that a lot of the people that are on this journey are very sensitive and empathic. And so ideally, of course, we'd all be able to have our own strong boundaries and grounding and be able to create our own individualized healthy container that we take everywhere. But a lot of people, you know, are still learning how to do that. And so to be able to come into a community and sort of explore that um, within yourself, I've seen it a number of times in your events and where just where you really walk your talk, you know, people will 
give you feedback or maybe like project their stuff onto you. And I've just been impressed with the way that you're able to really um, hold space for that and handle that. And you're often saying, you know, we invite in your shadow aspects. And that's so uncommon in a lot of spiritual communities where they're kind of spiritual bypassing and they're doing just love and light, love and light. And, and so I don't know if you want, would like to speak a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. I was going to take it there just because really, why do you create a structure? Why do you need a container? And it's because, you know, those who do this work and those who are stewarding other people or facilitating other people's processes you can't be naive to the fact that there are darker energies that would take advantage or exploit the situation, including exploiting the weaknesses of the leaders and organizers that are responsible for holding the space. So certainly, you know, there's, I I think of like the traditional temple um, and then there's this Greek word called temenos and it's T-E-M-E-N-O-S and Temenos was known as the space around the temple that was considered sacred. So you would actually cross over the threshold of the space around the temple and you would not desecrate even that space before you even got to the temple. And it was just considered the sacred container, the the Taurus field, the energy field, whatever you kind of associate it with. And certainly the shadow elements, they want in too. And if they're not invited in or they are not allowed a place in, they will try to get in otherwise. Um, And so it's kind of this notion of, I mean, I take that very seriously. I think it's incredibly important to be shadow aware. I think a lot of people do this work and are not shadow aware and it actually causes more harm than good where you have people kind of doing it for other reasons or doing it for power, like, or people that kind of get into a power position and then they're not shadow integrated. And then that gets projected onto their people and more trauma is caused and it kind of goes counter to what their intention is. But yeah, I I think that's a really, really important element of any kind of sacred work, including just retreats or circles or anything where you really state the intention of the space and, the notion is kind of you're speaking to the spirits and you're speaking to those who are around in other realms that this is our intention. This is our contract. Only these energies may be present here and otherwise you transmute. So if you stumble across this space and happen to get in, you will be transmuted back to source. Definitely. I think is a really, really important point of any kind of community building is uh, how shadow aware and shadow inclusive. Yeah. So I I sort of see, in this, you know, whatever you want to call it, shift that we're going through this transition time on the planet, that hopefully we're the way showers, you know, the people that are choosing to walk a spiritual path. And then those like you that are creating spiritual community, you're hopefully the way showers for other communities. You know, we're figuring all of this as we go along and we're working through our own stuff. And that continues the whole time uh, that we're here on the planet. What do you think are maybe some of the other important elements as well that for those that are creating community, are there other important elements? Absolutely. I I would say grounding, like how grounded, uh, how in your body, how present is really important. Uh, Awareness of elements like projection, like you mentioned projection, this element of being aware when you're projecting and or when someone else is projecting on you. I think that is a really incredible, uh, important piece because 
it can create either more trauma. It's like you can kind of separate, okay, this person had a trauma and they're experiencing something and they're seeing that in me and it's something that's within them. And in order to not re-traumatize them, I'm going to interact with them from a place of compassion and I'm going to interact with them from a place of awareness rather than reacting to whatever they're putting on you, which I think is a really, really, and kind of goes back to grounding, but really important because if you're grounded in your own energy and you're self-validated, you're self directed that's not going to impact you but whereas like say your intention for being in that kind of position is different you know you're going to be impacted by those implications on you Um, but so let's say groundedness centeredness presence yeah to add on to that is like having done your work and doing your work continuously doing your work and holding a high level of integrity Mm -hmm. integrity keeps coming up Mm -hmm. and being able to allow yourself to be in that place Mm-hmm. And if it resonates in that highest truth and recognizing when it doesn't and being able to let go or set boundary or say no, or yeah, to continue to walk this path mm-hmm. and hold yourself accountable as a leader. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Boundaries, assertiveness, communication, needs, like really knowing needs, understanding needs, understanding your needs, understanding other people's needs being able to assert when you need those needs met. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of people that don't feel like their needs are met. And then you're like, well, you didn't even tell me you, like what you didn't even tell me what you needed. How could I meet them? And then they're just leaving in a huff, you know, it feels like needs are a really important element to conscious community. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm glad you're bringing this up because someone else brought this up and it was kind of a new concept to me. Um, so we had some guests on, I was, a, it was a couple months ago, I think. And they talked about this concept that you're talking about right now, which is being on your path and being in the light, right? And, and expressing love to the world, but also mm-hmm. being assertive in, in that. And mm-hmm. I think people get confused in that concept because it is sort of antithetical if you think about it enough. But really, you know, there are many ways to be assertive. You don't have to be mean about it. It's like just being firm, you know, and... Um, it never really occurred to me before that, like you could be positive and you can be in the light and still be, have your needs met and, and be like, and, and let others know like this is where you stand and um, this is where you are and that's okay. And it is okay to be that way. But you, you mentioned Ostra, you mentioned earlier that, that you guys kind of are letting this energy flow through you. Like you're, you're just the vessels and you're being kind of divinely guided through this process of, of creating this church. I always wonder about, and I'm sure, and I'm sure now, you know, this church, the way it's formed and, and you couldn't have ever imagined that it would be what it is now, you know, at the beginning. And, you know, especially if you're just letting it flow through you like that. And, and I think it, it is, at least for me and, and probably for a lot of people is, to see your life that way is, is more difficult, you know, than, than it is in practice because you always want to imagine the best for yourself or or what you think is the best and, and the right way to go. But, but just letting go and, and letting, letting, you know, source guide you is, is a different thing. So I'm just kind of curious, like how that process has been for you guys. Yeah. It's required a lot of trust, a lot of surrender, a lot of work, a lot of letting go, uh, as well as just knowing that if you build it, they will come. For years, Clem and I have been in the trenches of this work, wondering why are we doing this? For who are we doing this? 
are we mad? <laughs> but it's beginning to make sense. People are showing up. They're wanting to serve. They see the mission. They want to be a part of it. They are, you know, volunteering their time and their energy and we offer exchanges as well. And it's really beautiful and affirming that we're on the right path. But it has been quite a trek. <laughs> and, you know, we have fallen from the mountain and we get back up and you know, climb and we've met so many beautiful people along the way that have supported that trek and then fallen away. And, you know, it continues, it continues and it dissolves and it becomes larger. And what we think it's going to be, it, that changes. And so it's like being in the cocoon <laughs> at times where you think it, you think, you know, but source has quite um, a sense of humor and the vision and the grand plan is already known, but we are kind of walking through it with just intuition and faith. I'd like to pass to Clementine to, to add on to that. Yeah, I, I think it's it kind of starts, well, it, we're kind of talking about two parallel things. We're talking about your own spiritual journey and like as an individual, really surrendering to an individual path. And then also this other notion of building kind of a larger thing beyond you, such as a community or a business or something that's outside, but sort of sourced from you. And I think they're simultaneously the same process, but at least in my experience, it was first I worked on individual and I think of it like a horse being broken, <laughs> uh, like where you're like, this is how we're going to do it. And this is what it is. And we're going to go this way. And here's how it's going to be. Uh, I came from like a business background. Um, I, I was a feng shui practitioner for eight years and I had an or organization business and I space, I would, I call it space healing now but in essence i would make business plans and i you know I, so even for the church i started out i have this quarter we're going to do this this quarter we're going to do this and this is the plan like everything structured and it's it I, I joke that it's like a horse being broken so for me individually it was like first i had to be broken and it was so horrible it was so horrifically difficult and extremely shocking to my system what i had to go through to be broken i really showed me my the power of my own will because for that much to have to happen for me to actually surrender. Like, okay, it's the same thing with the organizational work too. It's like, well, we thought it was going to be one way. And then I, I kind of also think of this as sort of third, three dimensional, fifth dimensional difference. 3D is very, you know, linear. It's by the book. You can make it what you want it to be. And then 5D structures are more organic, like plants and they're more meandering and, they take one thing and then they become something different halfway through the stream and you just got to adapt and you're like you're just serving an agenda that's higher higher sourced than you know and yeah i think Oscar said it all with integrity it's as long as you're in alignment with it and as long as you do what is asked of you and stay as balanced and grounded as you can um, and honest with yourself it it manifests and and I think the other factor in this is having a long-term understanding. Like, you know, I think many people don't build businesses or communities because they there's so much effort in the upfront that does not bring fruit. And my favorite quote I've ever heard on this concept that just strikes so such a deep chord for me is, the fruit is the last thing on the tree to grow. 
like really you grow the roots, you grow the system, you, you even start with the soil, you know, but then you go to the roots, you go to the stalk, you go to the sprout, you, you know, and it is build, 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 and you see nothing for it. And even years can go by and you see nothing for it, but you just keep having faith because that is the soul calling. And then maybe three to five years in, you start seeing evidence that it even was worth it, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people can't or don't build community or businesses and or maybe even that's why a lot of people don't start on the path of their own individual healing and awakening because you have to do so much upfront work just to heal and clear the layers first of resistance or fear or thoughts or programming before you even get to anything that actually feels good that they're like well why bother that's what i really appreciate about finding a healthy spiritual community because yeah if you have to plant the tree and do all of the, <laughs> this work on your own, like you said, it can be very discouraging and you can give up. But if you were like, hey, let's all get together and till the soil, or I, I actually don't know really planting farming metaphors. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right, but like, <laughs> you know, anyway, just to like, oh, we're all going to go do this together and we're going to whatever, prune the tree together. Or then we're like, okay, yeah, maybe that's fun. But like on my own, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much pruning to do, you know? And so I think that it, I know for myself, when I initially had my first spiritual awakening, I was really looking for a community. I was looking for my tribe way back then, when, <laughs> as much as I'll say. It was harder to find young people at that time that were on a spiritual path. And I would go to these different communities. I went to this like spiritualist church and I went to like a Buddhist meditation center and I went to several different things and met really wonderful people but they were just at a different stage in their life and and we could connect on the spiritual part but not really on everything else and then the people that were my age were just interested in you know making money and their careers and that's what my friend group was and so I find it really encouraging to see just even just the broad range of people that come to your different offerings in every category of age and socioeconomic status and interest and every flavor that a person can <laughs> be expressed kind of shows up. And it's, it's wonderful that everybody feels safe to be there and yet still feels like it's their tribe. But really just how powerful it is, though, that a lot of people just feel – I hear this from my clients all the time – that they're like, you're the only one who knows this about me, or you're the only one I can talk to about this. And I'm thinking, oh, but there's so many of you, you know, you guys all just need to get together and, and meet. And so it's beautiful that there's more and more of these communities coming up. I'm seeing more of them sprouting. Maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that I've valued that you offer is uh, the women's group. And I also greatly appreciate that you have a men's group. And that was something that I've, you know, for some years kept saying, why aren't there any men's groups? But even the women's groups, there weren't as many. And now just to be able to connect in that safe space on a spiritual level is something that's very valuable. Would you like to talk about men's group, women's group, the divine feminine, the divine masculine? So it's a really important process and we've done a lot of soul searching on this front as well because, you know, there's a lot of exploration uh, around gender identity and gender expression. And for us, it's kind of this idea that 
polarity is a really important thing to explore in the 3D realm. And we really want to provide spaces where people can explore what is femininity and what is masculinity and what is the in-between? What does it mean to be gender fluid? You know, so if people are identifying more as female that day to explore the feminine and, and vice versa. So the spaces are open, um, but it's kind of predicated on this idea that we're in a realm of polarity and, you know, some people like for instance, yin and yang, that it's this really ancient kind of, you know, even in the law of hermetics, the seven hermetic laws that the polarity is a kind of a natural thing in all the universe. And what does that mean? And what does it mean to be attracted? And what does it mean to be repelled? And what, you know, what is magnetic process? What is all of that about? And so for the women's and men's circles, honestly, everything that we create is just completely self-sourced. It's just channeled. We've seen that we wanted women's and men's groups for years, and it just wasn't the right time as per bandwidth and everything. But seeing you need men's groups, you need women's groups. And it's kind of just the idea that, well, I want to share, I had this journey one time, really, really deep journey where I was birthing myself as a female and I had all these brothers that were holding space for me and Ostra was holding immediate space. And then the brothers were kind of in layers around me. And I remember coming out of this journey and being like, oh my gosh. And I just remember seeing Ostra and it was kind of like I was in a birthing chamber and Ostra was my midwife. But then there were all these brothers holding space in different distances apart. And they kind of created this just protection around this birthing chamber that I was experiencing. And it was so profound and beautiful for me, that one vision and that one experience where I really saw that the female's or those who are working with feminine energy are really birthing right now, that there is a birth happening of a new paradigm and that the masculine, it, so it's like, we're all trying to learn our place. Like we're all trying to learn our new roles in this emerging paradigm. And it's funny because it's a really old paradigm, but we're coming back to it where the males are holding space. So it's like when a female's going through a birth, the males are like, if she needs water, he gets her water. You know, if she needs a back rub, he gives her a back rub, like in service to the birthing person. And, and so it's kind of like that notion where we wanted a space to cultivate, like what is, what is the feminine energy birthing through each woman or through each man, through the, the feminine side of them. And then helping men have other men where they can start to do their work just amongst other men to understand and learn those paradigms, uh, martial arts, learn how to be the protector, learn how to navigate emotions, develop emotional literacy, um, learning about trauma, how to hold space for the, for trauma of themselves and for women who are dealing with the, you know, quintessential feminine archetype that has been deeply wounded through subjugation and denigration and, you know, millennia of torture. And, and so kind of just going with the tides as we're called, um, the men's group started in September of last year, and then the women's group started in January. And it's just been a beautiful gift. And I look forward to it every week. I know we both talk about how just every week, you know, we host a lot of events. There's a lot of out giving out, 
but to be in a space where everyone is nourished, including us, is just incredibly beautiful. And it's really given us a lot in return as well. Yeah. I, l- I love that answer. It's it's a theme that you're right. It, it's come up a lot recently, and I think it is uh, it's a big part of our journey right now, as as a whole, as a species. The the the, the balancing of the masculine and the feminine. It's uh, it's it's badly in need of balancing right now. But yeah, it's like it's like this whole thing where you know this, this transition is happening. You gave the analogy of a birth, and that's exactly what it is. You know, we're we're birthing this new this new era and uh, births aren't always smooth you know there's there's pain and there's there's a lot of things that happen in a birth and you can see it everywhere or you can see what's happening in the planet right now there's a, t- a lot of turbulence you know that's what i call it turbulence and as we as we go through this transition period you know there's always a rough a, a rough aspect before it gets smooth again absolutely and um, i'm really glad you mentioned this kind of transition period and so, yeah, you're explaining kind of these labor pains and the growth pains and the contraction and the expansion. And I'm really glad you mentioned the transition period because I think for us, just theoretically, it's kind of this idea that the feminine really does need to take the lead. But in a space, kind of in this context where it's like the feminine really needs to take the lead. I mean, I know, for instance, in a lot of medicine spaces, even like indigenous medicine spaces, there's a lot of sexual exploitation occurring. There's a lot of current events happening in that realm, South America, et cetera, where this is all really being called out. Like there's a whole Me Too going on in ayahuasca circles and things around this and around, I I call it Me Too Shaman Edition, where there's this cry and this desire for female leaders and female space holders and female guides and voices. And I contextualize that within this transitional period that at least in my view, I'll just speak for myself, that there is this call, but it's temporary and we need masculine leadership as well. And I see that it's a temporary period where if we can just get through that birth process, we can just get through the birthing process and the male energy can serve the feminine energy in that temporary process. If they can just in the word submit comes, but I feel like that's kind of like a fronting to the masculine. It's kind of been on top for so long. And I'm speaking very generally here. This is not always the case, but just that the female can take the lead in the temporary so that then we can reach homeostasis. So we can get through the transitional period and reach homeostasis where we're more balanced and equal. So I just wanted to kind of give that caveat that I don't think it's like matriarchy from here on out forever i think it does need to be really balanced and um but we do need the feminine especially feminine elders which we don't even have to get into that right now if we don't want to but the female elders Hmm. come out of your caves we need you (laughs) (laughs) the crone matriarch the matriarchs yeah i think to some people it's gonna feel like like the matriarchy is taking over because it's so out of balance right now you know just to bring them into balance the the feminine with the masculine it's going to take a lot to bring the feminine to where the masculine has been for so long in terms of you know the overall our structures and our you know institutions and everything like that they're going to have massive restructuring for that to happen for that kind of balancing to happen but um but but you know this is like you said like earlier you know this is where in 3D, it's it's all about polarity and it's all about experiencing those those differences, you know, and those and sometimes they can be quite dramatic, you know. And as I think as we move on to to whatever the next one is, I mean, you you mentioned 5D, and I hear a lot of people say 5D, but 
in my mind it's four you know because we it's three now what happened to four if you skip to five but but i had i do have a theory about that too because <laughs> i'm really into the law of one i don't know if you you've heard of the law of one but they talk about this transition from third density to fourth density and they say you know during this time on the planet a lot of beings that are also fifth density come here to help assist with this process because it's a it's a very important process that we're going through right now and so higher beings do incarnate right now to help with the process and i feel like people who say we're going to go from 3d to 5d they are probably going to go to 5d because that's probably where they came from so in my mind i'm like yeah i'm i'm probably going to 4d but but you know some people are going to five and that's fine you know everybody has a different idea of what it is so i just thought i'd put that out there from what I understand, and I don't think anyone's an expert on any of this, but I think that from what I understand, 4D is a through station. It's kind of like a train station where it's not actually a destination point. So we actually do have to go through 4D. And the idea is that we're currently navigating through the layers and the karmic overlays. 4D, from my understanding, again, I'm not an expert, but the idea is that 4D is kind of an overlay, kind of like the astral realm, the dream world, um, the karmic overlays where all that kind of extra energy is stored where we're currently transmuting all of that. So it's very similar to the 3D, but it's slightly different. Um, and of course, more um, not as physical, but that we're purging and clearing a lot of the density there so that it can we can go through. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, or in, in the theories that 4D is kind of the way station to get you to the next destination point, which would be 5D. Yeah, I like that. And so let's talk about highly sensitive people, because that's not a topic that we've covered before. But I think that there's a lot of people listening that will really resonate with that topic. And I've heard you folks explain it in a really great way. Okay, that's one of my favorite topics ever, ever, ever. Um, Oscar says I should speak about this because so passionate about I am it. really yeah. passionate about it. This was one of my most mind blowing discoveries in my journey. I was working with this guy, Rick Belden, who actually does a lot of men's work and men's arts. He's a really notable character in the men's field, but he shared this with me and it was just mind blowing. So, okay, essentially, I'll just give you like the basic because there's so much we could go into here. But essentially, there's this book called The Highly Sensitive Person. It's a new body of research. So it's really only like 40, 45 years old, where it's essentially they have to do it's like nervous system, brain, neurobiology research and genetics research and it's kind of cro like um crossing all of those areas and essentially the major discovery was that there is a class of people about 15 to 20 percent of the population that has a gene that makes them highly sensitive and it's mind-blowing because you think if you're a highly sensitive person you think everyone's like you that everyone has the same perception sensitivities but they don't so it's really validating so essentially that there's 15 to 20% that has a gene that they have been able to isolate that predisposes individuals who have it to heightened sensitivity, which they define as a heightened reactiveness to stimuli. So light and sound is really more affecting to our nervous systems. We're able to hear sound at usually at lower thresholds um, and light is much more impactful to our systems. And then also a predisposition to deeper analysis. So in reading the book, you're just mind blown because your whole life is validated, right? 
she talks about how, for instance, like HSPs will make mistakes. And then like we spend all this time analyzing why we made the mistake, what it means, what we could do differently next time, blah, 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 blah. And that, that's actually an evolutionary advantage to HSPs because we tend not to repeat the mistakes because we're reviewing each time. So there's this predisposition to deeper analysis. And it's really important because a lot of people like lean on science and scientific discovery, which I mean, in my view is everything's merging with spirituality of course and especially if you look at quantum uh physics and you know the whole world's like telling you you're too much you're too intense you're you're too emotional just you're too sensitive but actually you're genetically and neurobiologically predisposed to this sensitivity she goes on to talk about how in her book uh, elaine aaron is who i'm referencing there's a lot more researchers kind of popping up now about it she talks about how in her theory it's essentially the evolutionary trait of a class of people that cultivated power in the esoteric realms. So such as like shamans, healers, witches, that kind of thing. And she talks about how throughout most of history, people cultivated power through brute force and armies and conquering tendencies, uh, which she calls the warrior king class. So that was like most of the population. You didn't really need any kind of special powers. If you just had brute force, you could conquer and have power. But then there were about 15 to 20 who cultivated power esoterically. And these she called the royal advisory class. These are the people who advise the kings, the, the warrior kings, and also who cultivate power socially otherwise, such as healers and shamans. And so she thinks that we're the descendants of those people. And so I think all the other divisions and everything, I think this is the real like discrimination or like process because it's like HSPs are across every population in all the world. You have 15 to 20% equally distributed everywhere. So you have, you know, witches burned at the stake and things like that. And, and it's like, there's this kind of class of people across every other class that don't even know that they're different. And they're genetically different. We have science to back it. We have markedly different brain activity. Our brains are completely different. There's areas of the brain that are way more active in HSPs than non-HSPs. And it has so many implications for society in general, you know, let alone communities. And so our community, that's kind of the basis that we work around is HSPs and HSP awareness and helping essentially those HSPs to recognize that there's nothing wrong with you. You're gifted. You have shamanic gifts. And you have things to offer the world that, you know, are really important and a puzzle piece that's needed. And, uh, but the world's told them that there's something wrong with them their whole lives. And so even in the book, she talks about how there's, they tend to have low self-esteem, you know, which you have to really come into your powers and your gifts in order to really like take back who you really are. So anyway, I feel like I could keep going a lot about this and into the nervous system and everything, but I think about this a lot too. Like, you know, there are people coming into the planet right now that, that are different and there are more of them now. And every generation has something different to offer. That's why we die and, and new ones come, you know, so that things can change, you know? So mm -hmm. it's interesting to think about that though. Yeah. So do you, do you think that these like highly evolved souls may choose then to, um, incarnate into ancestries or bloodlines where that is a trait because they want to be able to more easily access their um, higher consciousness? 
I think on the contrary, there's a tendency to incarnate into lower density lineages because there's a capacity and an ability to understand the implications and therefore heal it. So, I mean, in the book, she talks about, you know, this ability, capacity for emotion, um, the ability to really feel. And as we all know, you got to feel it to heal it, as Oscar always says. Yeah. Um, and so this idea that, you know, maybe there's people that are born into lineages, it just repeat it. They're not even thinking what could be done differently. Whereas an HSP might come into that lineage and be like, okay, this is horrible <laughs> straight up and this needs to stop. So I'm going to feel it the deepest I can feel it. I'm going to go through and then come out on the other side and say, no more. That is done. We're closing this contract. We're done with it. And that's it. And I think HSPs are doing that. And my original theory and spin on is I think HSPs are the um, neurobiologically or, or genetically the star seeds. That brings up a point that I wanted to ask you all about is, um, you know, what it was like for you in your childhood and even as young adults, like finding your path and your journey to where you are now. I often long or wish that I had had the support I needed to cultivate my gifts of awareness. Growing up in a border town to a Catholic paradigm was really challenging and I had a lot of anger and resentment and didn't know where to put this energy other than towards my family and loved ones. And I was always grounded <laughs> and getting punished and things like that. But I do recall being able to astral project and travel as a young person. I would leave my body at night and I would fly around the house and I would go into different dimensions and I would encounter these places of geometry and light and um uh, very beautiful spaces and then as I as I grew older I kind of forgot about all that so I didn't really have the tools or the access to that to those spaces again as I grew and forgot but now I'm in this place of unlearning and remembering and I'm reclaiming parts of my lineage that had been suppressed and oppressed and it's so special and such a beautiful gift to be able to recall and I continue is the, you know, put that forth that we're on a path of unlearning and we're, in, we're remembering. So on a path of unlearning and remembering, and we're all walking this path. And it's not easy, but it's not as lonely as it needs to be when we find tribe. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of the luck of the draw anyway, or like what you choose. But my story was similar, kind of just in a small town, Texas town, people didn't really understand. I had all these questions. I was always like a deeper question person and everybody just wanted to like hang on, have fun. And I was like, but what about the universe? <laughs> what about all these things we need to know? What are you talking about? And I was the weird one. I was the outcast. I was, no one knew what to do with me. But the other element was that I had a lot of trauma really early on that really shut me down from a lot of my gifts. And I think that that, process is similar to a lot of people it's like you go through trauma even like not necessarily early childhood trauma or maybe you do but then it's like you go through the adolescent process and you're a highly sensitive person and you don't really work well in your environment you don't fit in you're not just partying to party you know you're not um having fun to have fun you have more that you want to know and for me it was kind of like that i until i came to austin i just really did not make sense and even then, I didn't make sense for many years. So, yeah, it's sad to me to think about all the people that could be 
so much or offer so much, so many gifts and, but they would never just because of their upbringing, they would never kind of have the courage or self-esteem to really try, try something new or, or see themselves in a different light. Like in so far as being like a mythological creature here to help the planet or, uh, or something as such, just because their parents told them that they were one thing, like you have to be a lawyer or you have to be this or whatever. Yeah, so true. One more thing I wanted to, uh, one more topic I was really wanting to cover was just ceremony, because I think a lot of times, you know, the same way the word church might elicit a certain idea in people's head, ceremony might seem this sort of kind of superstitious, antiquated kind of types of practices. How would you define ceremony and why do you think it's important in our modern world? So there's a difference between ceremony and ritual, at least in my perception of being in this world. Ritual is a connection space with the divine, as is ceremony, but normally ceremony includes a sacrament. And they're both ultimately profound opportunities to connect with your higher self and with the magic around as well as source and communion with that place of remembrance it's very important to have these sacred spaces to remember and to rest into that awareness of who we really are, as well as our connection with Mother Planet Earth. And I feel that to be in this world, it's just a privilege and an honor. And if you know, you know, and more people are beginning to wake up to the awareness that these spaces are available and that they're safe spaces to explore. And I'd like to pass the circle or the space back to Clem and she's very developed in these areas. Yeah. Um, I think that ceremony and ritual are actually more interchangeable depending on the culture. I definitely think you can have ceremony without sacrament, for instance, like rite of passage ceremonies and things like that. But for me, the more overarching kind of idea for this is that we live in a world that has been divorced from nature and from the sacredness of life. And so when you provide a single space, so, you know, and we're busy, we have text messages always oh my God, always and always and always interfering with your day-to-day realities and, and taking your focus from you. So, you know, it used to be you wake up, you merge with the sun, you commune with the birds, you stretch or you create art in the dirt or, you know, whatever. And, and you have your day and you're fully left to your own devices. And now your attention is scattered because it, we're more porous. Portals are always being opened. You get a text message or an email or someone calls you or you have to do an appointment via Zoom or whatever. And so what, we have all these portals constantly interfering with our fields not to mention, I'm not even going to go into all the, like, the electromagnetics and the bombardment of uh, energies and waves that we're constantly receiving and don't even really see. So there's this idea of a ceremony, which can offer a safe space that is meant for something. It's an intentional space made for communion with the sacred and reclaiming the sacred it can be even as simple as like I think of morning and nighttime routine. It's like the opening of the ceremony, the closing of the ceremony. So it can be mundane. But the goal for us in providing ceremony spaces is that people come, they leave their phones off. 
they come, they commune with others, and they're in a deliberately created space for sacred communion. What that does is it, it brings their attention and their focus, which is the channel of your soul, whatever you're focusing on, whatever you're, it's like the, the nozzle from, for the hose, and it puts it in one place in the present moment in uh, an intention of creation with God or goddess. And so that is rare, more or less, in our society. And so people also don't know how to access that or create it for themselves. So when you do group ceremony, it often can provide, you know, you're not going to just like pull out your phone in a group ceremony or in a meditation space with others. So it just provides this kind of like accountability where we're all in this container for connection and for communion. And to diverge from that would kind of constitute like, what are you doing? Or like a divergence from this the social paradigm. And so, yeah, I, I kind of just think of it as a route and an avenue back to where we used to not need that as much because everything was sacred. But now everything's so mundane and kind of there's so much going on all the time that you need to really create a, a focused, um, guarded space that's outside of everything else. Yeah, you guys are excellent at creating a ritual and ceremony and in the space and offering that and you have so many events and opportunities for people to connect to that what is it that you would most like to maybe highlight for people that maybe are just plugging into you guys for the first time what, what would you like people to know about that you're offering it kind of depends on where they're at with regard to COVID and processes of social connection or not. So we do offer virtual uh, rituals at every new and full moon, which is also how we connect with our out-of-towners, so people that want to be connected to the community but don't live here. So at new and full moons, we do online rituals, and everything's by donation because we're a church, we're not a business. That's a really important element for us. But so we do new and full moons if you're feeling more COVID averse, but for people that are more open, we do outdoor ecstatic dances. We do different kinds of ceremonies, just um, like I own a Shelly Cambo ceremony is really powerful. Cacao ceremonies are just incredibly powerful. We also, I'm feeling called to highlight uh, the women's and men's circles, which you mentioned, which are weekly spaces of connection and just incredibly deep. Like you just cannot imagine those just sharing circles could be so impactful, including for myself every week. I'm just wow, what a gift. But then I also want to highlight, well, at the end of this month, on May 1st, we're doing a rebirthing ceremony. So part of the church is really connecting with the earth cycles and really getting on the earth rhythms. This is like connecting your natural biorhythms with the earth through connection with the moon and the sun cycles on the more monthly or day-to-day work. And then there's the equinoxes and solstices, which we do large gatherings in around, and then the rebirthing and the death ceremony. So in the spring, the, the idea of crawling through the birth canal and rebirthing yourself with the spring and the summer. And then at the end of the year, near the fall, we do a death ceremony where you go through a guided ego death. And so that's kind of what I'm most excited about right now, I think, is the is the rebirthing ceremony. Um, where you literally crawl through a birth canal and it's just such a beautiful, powerful way to to commune. Yeah, just to add on, there's ways to connect with the church. We're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. People can visit our website for more information. We recently just created a Telegram 
Instagram group, which is really exciting, uh, a space to share updates and more magic, as well as a community chat to connect with other individuals who are on this path of remembrance and seeking these spaces and others to, to converse about this awakening and this transition of timelines. Yeah, and uh, we also have a newsletter, which goes out at the beginning of the month. And it's very in-depth and magical, and people can sign up via our website, churchofthesacredwomb.org. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on to talk with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. We're so grateful. <laughs> yeah, so happy to have you guys. Thanks for the opportunity, to And it's so nice to meet you, too. And I hope to connect with Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Ostra and Clementine for taking the time to talk with us and share their gifts and knowledge with us. If you'd like to know more about them or their services or ceremonies that they offer, go to their website, churchofthesacredwomb.org. And you can also find them on social media as well. I'd also like to say thank you very much to Casey Henson for creating the music we use on this podcast, and to Tiana Roser for keeping this podcast interesting and going strong. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com, and you can also find us on social media. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. This will help other people find us. Take care.